What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the HoopsHype podcast. Last season, the New York Knicks were one of the best stories in the NBA. Tom Thibodeau won Coach of the Year. Julius Randle won Most Improved Player. And the team earned the fourth seed in the East. Uh, This season, it's been a different story. The Knicks have taken a major step back, and they're in danger of missing the play-in tournament and earning a trip to the lottery instead. So with that in mind, my friend and Knicks beat writer Stefan Bondi for the New York Daily News is going to join me in studio to discuss what happened to Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson's free agency, and Cam Reddish's future, and the possibilities of trading Kemba Walker, Nerlens Noel this summer, and more on today's episode. How you doing, Steph? What's up, brother? I appreciate you having me on, man. My pleasure, my man. Uh, we certainly got a lot to talk to with this New York Knicks team. And I think first and foremost, it starts with the head of the snake on the court, Julius Randle. Uh, you know, looking at Julius this year, um, more or less his, his points and rebounds are kind of the same. But biggest drop off for him this season has been his three-point shooting. It was 41% last year, down to 31% this year. He played best when he was in a contract year, and then the Knicks extended him. They thought it would look like a good contract with the salary cap potentially going up in the years to come. Uh, But it's been uh, a bit of an up-and-down season for Julius this season. I'm curious, Stefan, from your perspective, what's been the biggest difference when it comes to Julius Randle so far this season? Well, the first one you nailed, it's a three-point shot. Um, And we saw just – you know, just a couple nights ago in Sacramento, he was hitting a shot and he dropped a career high 46 points. That's been the biggest difference. Um, last season, you were kind of worried, hey, this is an anomaly. He's never shot this well from beyond the arc in his career. They can't, you can't sustain it. You can't sustain it. And as it turns out, he couldn't. Um, you know, this has been a bigger drop off than I think anybody expected in terms of three point shot you know, falling from over 40% to just a hair over 30%. Um, you know, that's been probably the biggest issue on the court. You also have to compound that, you know, his, his he's kind of been, um, you know, he hasn't been a great leader, you know, just to put it frankly. Um, he's had temper tantrums. He had the situation with the fans where he put the thumbs down and then, dropped the F-bomb where he got fined for it. You know, just the other night, he pushed Phoenix's Cam Johnson. Uh, that warranted an ejection and probably cost the Knicks uh, that game. So there's been a couple issues. I think the fact that, you know, this happened earlier in the season and people kind of downplayed it, but I think the fact that he lost two of his best friends on the team, uh, Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton, that might have hurt him just in terms of his psyche and, you know, being able to bond and mesh in the chemistry with the team that was so apparent last season just isn't there. Uh, so I think that there has been a couple issues, but in terms of on the court, number one, you nailed it, man. It's the three-point shot. Interesting point you brought up about uh, the dynamic of Reggie Bullock and uh, Bullock and Alfred Payton. Um, y- you know, you look at this team now, and, and they've kind of gone a little bit more towards a, a youth movement at the end of the season. Uh, playing guys, uh, the younger guys, more minutes. Uh, you know, we heard his name kicked around a little bit with uh, teams at the trade deadline. Uh, I forget who had put it out there, but you, you heard stuff about him with the Sacramento Kings before they got the Montes Sabonis. And then Julius Randle uh, 
you know, lit it up in Sacramento like Times Square on New Year's Eve. Um, Stefan, do you think there's a possibility that Julius Randle could be traded uh, this summer with the way uh, the Knicks are, are heading at this point? Yeah, I think there's a possibility, but I will I will caution it with this. The, any talk of him getting traded before the deadline, I think um, there wasn't much to it. Um, you know, there might have been some calls here and there, but nothing ever got serious at all. I don't think the Knicks, I think the Knicks were smart enough to understand why are we going to trade this guy at his lowest point? We're not going to get much back for him. Um, and, and even though you mentioned the max, max extension, it's not a max contract. So it's not like he's going to start making $30 million right off the bat next season. You know, it's still a very reasonable contract in terms of today's NBA. When you look at these obscene numbers getting thrown around uh, for, for players who don't produce even as much as Julius Randle. So the contract is not that bad. I still think he's an asset. I still think on nights, like you mentioned, lighting up like Times Square in Sacramento, he's going to have nights like that. And um, you'd hope that next season is kind of is kind of different. My my concern with Julius Randle is all right if he's not going to be your, if he's not good enough to be your number one guy on a legit contender, which I don't think he is, then is he capable of being a number two guy, playing off the ball more, uh, kind of seeding to another playmaker? And you know we've seen that at times with R.J. Barrett, where R.J. Barrett takes control and he's the guy, and Julius Randle kind of plays plays off and, and and isn't demanding the ball so often and sometimes it's worked but a lot of times it hasn't so my big question for Julius Randle can he be a legit number two and can he handle that uh, responsibility and and how will he play in that role because I don't know man I am I am a little bit skeptical you know when you think of a championship team I think he'd be more along the lines of a number three if I'm being honest I think you yeah, know you, you yeah, talk- yeah yeah true to True. You you talk about the Knicks, you know, and you mentioned about R.J. Barrett a little bit. Um, R.J. certainly become more assertive this year, scoring the ball. Um, struggled early on shooting the ball, um, and then we've seen him gain more confidence. But, you know, with R.J., he's always an interesting case. You know, is he going to be a guy that eventually develops into an all-star? Uh, that draft that they had where, where they got the third pick, uh, even though they had, I, I believe, it was the worst record in the league that year. You know, they don't get Zion, they don't get John Morant, they get R.J. Barrett. It's just the way the cookie crumbled um, for the Knicks. And so I I don't know, like, is R.J. going to be this all-star caliber guy or is he eventually going to be a guy that they may be flipping a trade? You know, you always heard the spec. First of all, the Knicks are always involved in speculation about trying to get an all-star, whether it's, uh, you know, I think lately Donovan Mitchell's name has popped up like, I kind of wonder if R.J. Barrett's going to develop into an all-star on his own or if he's going to ultimately get flipped in a package for a a younger type of all-star guy like a Donovan Mitchell. Um, To me, I think that's what's going to be interesting to see about R.J. Yeah, well, you know the streak that the Knicks have, right? They have not – now, this is some dubious stuff right here. They have not re-signed a player that they drafted to a second contract coming off their rookie deal since Charlie Ward. Yes. Were you even alive when Charlie Ward was playing? <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, that's how young you are, bro. Well, no, nah, um, yeah. I mean, me being 32, I, I saw Charlie Ward at the Garden. I remember used to go into games with my aunt and my mom, actually. Yeah. All right. All right. 
But that's how long it's been, man. I think that was, you know, whenever he was drafted, 94 or 95, whenever that was. I mean, and now you're talking about R.J. Barrett. He is up for an extension um, after this season for, you know, off his rookie deal. I think that the Knicks view him as a future cornerstone piece, but you are correct in assuming this. He is their most valuable trade piece. So if they are going to go after Donovan Mitchell or they're going to make a run at whoever, um, you know, I would not touch Zion Williamson, but that's probably another conversation um, that he would, you know, he would be their most enticing piece. Now they are loaded with draft picks. Uh, they have all their own draft picks. Plus I think they got another one coming from Dallas. So they could include those in any package. But in terms of players on their roster, R.J. Barrett is the most enticing piece by far. And then when you talk about whether he's going to be a future all-star, I think there's certainly a possibility. Now, this is not a guy with the skill set in my mind to become, you know, that megastar, multiple-time perennial all-star type player. For me, he's just, you know, with R.J. Barrett, he's really good at almost everything, but he's not great at anything. Um so I think, you know, yes, he has the potential to average 23, 24 points at his peak during a season, make, it, make a couple all-star teams. But I don't view him in that super megastar light. It's interesting because, again, like you, you mentioned about the streaks since Charlie Ward about re-signing a first-round pick and, and retaining them. And then you got um, the Knicks haven't really been able to land a superstar in free agency. I mean, they were able to sign Amari Stoudemire years ago uh, when there was a lot of injury concerns for him uh, coming off his time in Phoenix. But, uh, you know, the, the Knicks, a lot of people thought they were going to get Kevin Durant uh, and, and Kyrie Irving, possibly. Those two ended up, you know, not going there. And I will say there was a lot of smoke around that for a good half of that season leading up to the summer and then it kind of shifted a little bit but uh that didn't come to fruition as well so one way or the other uh yeah i agree with you i think they're either going to keep rj and try to lock him up or they're gonna try to flip him in a trade for a, a younger star guy like you know donovan mitchell but time will tell on that um I, I, that's going to be another conversation that's going to be interesting what is rj barrett's extension value because i don't know if he's worthy of a max extension yet, but otherwise I don't know if it, it behooves him to do that. Uh, so we'll have to see on that, but you know, we were talking about young guys, you know, and, and obviously, yes, he, he is their best trade asset, but another younger guy that they think of as an asset is Mitchell Robinson. And they could have made him go into restricted free agency last year. They didn't do that. Now he can go into uh, unrestricted free agency, this summer, he's going to be 24 by the time he hits the market, still young. So, so Steph, what I did was I hit up a couple of executives. I spoke to five NBA executives and I asked them, what in their mind is Mitchell Robinson's projected free agency value as of today? Uh, according to those executives, his worst case scenario is the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. But the general projected range for him is between – 12 to $13 million annually, which would be more than what Nerlens Noel got previously in free agency with the Knicks. And in speaking with most executives, they think that with New York having Mitchell Robinson's bird rights, most around the league don't see him walking for nothing. So ultimately, he, he would stay in New York. From your perspective, what is your free agency forecast for Mitchell Robinson? All right. Well, that's an interesting evaluation because 
if he's going to cost that much, um, I, I, I think it would be tough for the Knicks to bring him back. Quite frankly, they just spent um, ten, you know, what was ten million dollars a year on Nerlens Noel, um, who basically is the same type of player. And you know, Mr. Robinson is eligible for an extension still. They could still sign him and not let him hit free agency. But his um, dollar amount, I think, is capped at four years, fifty-five million, somewhere in that range. Um, and the last I heard was they were, you know, whatever extension talks were having, they weren't close on anything. Um, listen, I think that they should bring him back, find a way to bring him back because Nerland Noel has proven to be unreliable. I guess that's the best way I can put it. You know, he, you know, he had a great season last season. He was the anchor of the defense that was spectacular at times, but he's proven that, you know, he's, either not healthy or not wanting to play. I don't really know what's going on with Nerland Noel, to be honest. Um, I think it's just health, actually. And it just hasn't worked out, man. Um, and Mitchell Robinson, in the meantime, who came in with injury concerns, who came in with concerns about his conditioning, has provided them a boost, certainly lately, that they didn't have. Um, and he's been their most reliable center. I think, you know, Taj Gibson is what he is. He's 36 years old. Um, he's going to be a free agent after the season as well, or, or he could be. And, um, you know, Mitchell Robinson has earned a big contract, and frankly, he deserves it. I mean, this was a guy who came in as a second-round pick. His agent loved it and gave him a very team-friendly contract, and he's made very minimal money up to this point. So one thing I know for sure and one thing I will tell you is Mitchell Robinson and his agent will find a way to maximize their money uh, in this next deal. You know, it's interesting, too. So you, you touched on New Orleans Noel. I'll certainly uh, touch on him a little bit. But as far as um, what some of those executives thought, just a little bit more context to that. One executive told me, I think the Knicks re-sign him and maybe they overpay to do so, so to keep him as an asset. He did mention it'll be a tough negotiation given what they gave New Orleans Noel. Another executive said he's talented as a rim protector and elite on the offensive glass. Um, he's good offensively in the dunker area and he can finish at a high clip, but he has no perimeter game and he has a bit of an injury history. Um, you touched on that as well. Uh, one guy told me that, you know, he could see him getting 15 million, even if it becomes a bidding war, just because he's an unrestricted free agency last summer in restricted free agency, nobody got an offer sheet and everybody had to either stay with their own team or do a sign and trade. Mitchell Robinson doesn't have to worry about that this summer, which I do think is going to benefit him. Um, Other than that, uh, I mean, it's really with him about consistency when you, when you talk to these guys around the league executives that, you know, could be looking to try to get this guy uh, ultimately. Um, well, two, team, two teams, but, uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but two teams that have been rumored linked with him are Detroit and Dallas. I don't know, you know, you you have a better grip on the caps, uh, the cap situations for different teams around the NBA. Does Dallas even have cap space to go after somebody like Mitchell Robinson? If anything, well, my thing with that would be I'd have to look at the numbers, but uh, it could either be maybe a, you could always do like a sign and trade or something like that if they really wanted him. I will say Detroit. Um, and I think Ian Begley at SMY had mentioned, uh, Detroit as well, but, uh, 
Detroit is a team I've heard that has interest in him. I know they're going to be linked to DeAndre Ayton as well. Um, but the price gap between Mitchell Robinson and DeAndre and is going to be pretty significant. And if Detroit can get other free agent acquisitions, I think they're certainly going to look at Mitchell Robinson. Um, Harold Ellis, who used to work for the Knicks, is with Detroit. Um, so they've definitely got some good inside knowledge on him there. Um, I, I think that that's something worth noting. And, you know, given the way uh, Troy Weaver likes to build his team with – Younger, longer, athletic type of guys. You see Jeremy Grant. You see Cade Cunningham. Mitchell Robinson could certainly fit there, and he'd be a lot cheaper. Um, that is a team I'm definitely keeping my eye on when it comes to the Mitchell Robinson uh, sweepstakes, and they certainly have plenty of cap space to try to make something work there. You know, when it comes to Mitchell Robinson, Dallas, I hadn't specifically heard them yet, but it wouldn't shock me. Certainly, um, they've always been linked as a team that's. Uh, been trying to get a big and you know you touched on as well uh Nerlens Noel and the contract that they just paid him well you know in talking with you know multiple executives around the league they certainly think Mitchell uh, excuse me Nerlens Noel is a trade candidate I agree I had reported about the three team trade talks with the Knicks the Lakers and the Raptors Nerlens Noel was going to be a part of that uh and, and for them to get that in-depth on parameters with guys, I know ultimately it did not happen, but they were in serious talks about it. So uh, I certainly think there's a possibility that Nerlens Noel can get moved. I know him and Tom Thibodeau have a great uh, relationship. Tibbs loves, obviously, his defensive guys. Um, I think as you touched on injury-wise, it just has not worked out for him uh, to this point. Um, you know, other than that, we touched on, uh, you know, he's not the only guy you, you think of when it could be a trade candidate. Kemba Walker is another guy. Uh, you know, the Knicks get these former stars that are past uh, their prime a little bit. Like, you know, we've seen Joakim Noah, Steve Francis, Tracy McGrady, Penny Hardaway. You know, Kemba, a great feel-good story. Um, it, it just hadn't worked out other than when he came back, you know, from that one week of injury and and he was, you know, on fire. Um one GM told me he was concerned about trading for Kemba because of his knees and his limited availability on back-to-back games. I do think ultimately the Knicks will be able to move him in the summer. Um, I'm not sure what the price is going to be, though. What, what's your forecast for Kemba Walker in the offseason as far as him being moved in a trade? Yeah, I think he uh, he will be moved. And the Knicks, you know, listen, if he's not moved, they're going to have to buy him out. But he, he is an expiring contract. So you're not attaching too much money to him. And the Knicks will be able to move him. They won't get anything back of value. Uh, but I think the Knicks will be able to move him in the offseason. And, you know, I had heard even before they signed him, it was a risk. You know, I mean, the guy's knees are, are, have been a problem for a while. Um, and uh, the Knicks knew that this arthritic knee was going to be an issue. And it became an issue where he couldn't. You mentioned the back-to-back situation. It got worse than that. You know, he had to sit out long extended periods of time after New Year's, after something he, he tweaked it, uh, he tweaked his knee on New Year's Eve in OKC, and he had to sit out an extended period of time. And this was after he had come back and he was really balling out. So you can see some of the potential there, but you also watch him and you see he can't get to the rim anymore. Certainly not the way he used to, what we're accustomed to Campbell Walker doing. Um, so he, he's a diminished version of Kemba Walker, but I still think he can, he can help a team out. And like, like I said, it's a $9 million, um, 
expiring contract. So it's, it's movable for sure. I agree with you in terms of the expiring contract being an asset. I, I think anytime a guy's on the end of the deal, you can certainly move that guy. We've seen bigger trades before. You know, if, if Jerome James and guys could get moved in years past, certainly he could. Um, I think people tend are to. You really, are you really bringing up Jerome James on a Knicks podcast? Yeah, I am. You're gonna get fans PTSD, bro. It, it's oh, listen. It's it's part of the uh, it's part of the history. And again, it's just another. It, it is what it is. I I remember it well. Uh, you know, another guy that had a a short playoff stint that that did well. I mean, I don't know. We hadn't really seen that as much. Like Bismack Biombo got a huge contract after he had a big playoff stint in Toronto um, before he left. So. Always interesting to see how how those bigs get uh, signed and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, th- listen, Jerome James. There's plenty of guys from Knicks past that uh, you know didn't pan out, unfortunately. But well, you, you've already so you already you've already mentioned Jerome James, and I heard you mentioned Joe Kim. Though, I mean, what are you doing to Knicks fans right now? <laughs> you know, I gotta say this, Joe Kim. Nobody wanted it, I think, to work more than Joe Kim. Um, you know, a kid that grew up. You know, went to Poly Prep High School in New York, and um, he wanted it to work bad. I, I just think he was, you know, older, and he didn't, he didn't have the same physical, uh, you know, availability that he had previously. I, it was an interesting dynamic with him and and Derek Rose at the time to try to get, uh, you know, uh, Carmelo Anthony some help at the time, but just uh, didn't pan out. I mean. You know, like Seth, I remember being yeah, in Madison Square so, Garden so, when I agree with you. I agree with you, but he didn't do himself any favors after he left, and then he did that interview where he said I was too lit for New York because then it just became, damn, this dude was partying too hard. No wonder he couldn't play here. So yeah, I agree with you. Dude wanted it like for sure when he came here. Um, it, it, it you could you could actually feel the intensity and you know, what he, what he desired there. And, and, you know, I, I think he showed in Chicago for sure the kind of competitor is. I remember going to Brooklyn and watching him beat the Nets in a game seven on basically one foot because he had plantar fasciitis. Um, so I knew what kind of competitor he was. I think, I just think he did himself no favors afterwards. Well, first of all, he had the issue with Jeff Hornacek. And then afterwards, you know, he did that interview where he said he was too lit for New York. In fairness, I think a lot of people are are lit when they play in New York. Um, <laughs> everybody's going, everybody's yeah. going to One you're Oak too, and Tao. I know you're nightlife though. You're 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 too lit for New York. I am. We certainly uh, we certainly got a lot of rooftop availabilities at times. It's it's been uh, it's been fun in that regard. But we still get our work done pre and post. Um, yeah. But <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny? You, you talk about uh, being too lit. I mean. And you talk about the Nick fan base having PTSD from Jerome James and, and Joakim Noah, but Nick fans were very excited when Cam Reddish was acquired. And this is a guy that, uh, you know, oozes upside from his physical attributes, uh, but has yet to put it together consistently. The thought was leaving Atlanta, he would get a chance to play more. And certainly Nick's, Nick's management wanted him to play more. They gave up a first round pick for the guy, um, but he didn't. Cracked the rotation early on with Tom Thibodeau. Now, towards the end of the season, he was playing more before he had that little injury. Um, you know, I, I remember one executive who 
you know, was debating like going after Reddish. He said to me, like, I'm on the fence with him. He's the right type of player who could be really good, but he could easily be a bust too. And for the Knicks, I feel like you're not going to find out if you don't play this guy. Like, what what do you think? And again, I mean, look, he, his name did come up in the three team talks with the Lakers and and Toronto. Um, yeah. Being a, a clutch client, uh, so with that in mind, what is your view of Cam Reddish like heading into this offseason? Is this a guy that's going to be a Nick going into next season, or could he be moved ultimately yet again? Well, first I'm going to rewind. When you brought up him being a clutch client, what did you mean by that in that context? In the sense that like, well, in terms of, uh, you know, with him going potentially to the Lakers, um, okay. in those, three, right. in those right. three team talks, you know, obviously, uh, the Lakers, well, you got the clutch Lakers and the CAA Knicks. Now I know what you're saying. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I mean, it's, it, you certainly got that point. And, you know, I'm sure like the Knicks will get linked to the, the, the point guard from Kentucky, uh, Ty Ty Washington. I'm sure that'll be, uh, another one that comes up as well as the draft gets closer. Cause that's the easy thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think you, you're right in that, first of all, your assessment is the same thing I heard of Cam Reddish. He could, his physical attributes kind of lead people to gush over the possibilities of him. It hasn't been applied to his NBA career yet, and people are worried he might be a bust. Um, you know, they, he's, I think they're open to trading him. Uh, they don't want to trade him because they just gave up a first-round pick for him, and anything if they get anything less than a first-round back for him, that would symbolize that the trade was a big mistake already. Um, I don't think they want to make that concession. I think they want to give Cam Reddish another year. He is under contract for next season. They don't have to give him an extension. I don't think they will based on what they've seen from him so far. And he, he will be a restricted free agent if they let it get that far in 2023. So listen, I, I, I never thought, you know, I, I know people are going crazy about, hey, play Cam Reddish now, play Cam Reddish now. Why the hell did you trade this first-round draft pick? Well, it, I, to me, it was never really about this season. And Tom Thibodeau had laid it out um, after the trade. You know, you're trading for a guy, and I don't have a, a spot in the rotation for him. And at the time, that the Knicks were competing for a playoff spot, not a play-in spot. They were still in the playoff picture. Um, and Thibodeau just didn't have a spot for him. I know Knicks fans are up in arms about Alec Burks getting so many opportunities and so many minutes. But, um, you know, Cam Reddish is under contract next season and he can be a restricted free agent, not unrestricted. So um, I, I think it's, it was more about the future and that pick that they gave up is heavily protected. It's not like they gave up in an uh, unprotected first round pick either. So when the trade happened to me, it was worth the gamble and it still is based on, Hey, you can get a good look at this guy next season. And as it turns out, as you know, as we talk about this on, hey, what's today? Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. Um, Cam Reddish has a sprained shoulder, and uh, he actually left the team and went uh, there. There in Dallas, he went back to New York to get reevaluated. So who knows if he's even available to play for the rest of the season? We got to wait and see what the doctors say. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too about Cam when you talk about the heavily protected pick that the Knicks gave up for him, the first round pick. Uh, the Indiana Pacers were a team that was in the mix to get Cam Reddish as well. I thought that maybe um, that would be a guy that they look at 
in terms of Atlanta potentially moving him. Maybe they would go to Indiana there. Uh, it ultimately never panned out, but there were definitely talks there at a certain point. Um, I, I don't think the Knicks gave up too much for him. I think it made sense, and you might as well. This is the thing I liked about that trade. I thought it was at least a swing for an upside kind of guy. Like like the year that the Knicks drafted uh, Kevin Knox, you know, I'm here banging the table, and I swear this was before Michael Porter Jr. had his breakout year, and I know the guy had another back injury, but my my philosophy was like swing for the fences. Uh, I don't care if the guy turns into Brandon Roy and it's only good for a few years. It's going to be really high production at that point if you got him, and you saw what he did with Denver. This was a guy that, you know, could have all-star potential. I'm always of the mindset and we, you know, Joel Embiid missed two years for crying out loud to start his career. I'm always of the mindset of swinging for the fences on the talent. You can then coach a guy up and, and put him into your system. Plus Cam is also a two-way guy where defensively he's going to give you something. Whereas a lot of people in this league don't play that side of the ball. Um, you know, one executive told me like next year, if he was the Knicks, he would star quickly Barrett and Reddish. Um, I remember another executive said to me that the worst thing to happen to the Knicks was what happened last year when they overachieved, got the fourth seed, had unrealistic expectations, and then they went out and got Kemba Walker and Ever Fournier. Which brings me to uh, my next topic I wanted to discuss with you, Evan Fournier. Um, Fournier shooting the ball from three-point range has been fine, uh, but – he has certainly not moved the needle overall for this team, uh, given the contract that they gave him. What is the view of Evan Fournier within the Knicks right now, uh, looking ahead towards the future? Because obviously this guy's got uh, more time on his contract that he just signed this past summer. What are the Knicks looking to do with Evan Fournier at this point? Well, I don't know what they're going to do in the future, but I do know that um, he was one of the names they were uh, pitching around b- before the trade deadline. Uh, they were pitching a lot of people, but he was one of them for sure. And, uh, you know, what does that symbolize? That he's he's a guy that given the right, if they're given the right opportunity and given the right price, he's a guy that will move on from. Um, and he's also a guy who they gave a 70 million plus contract in just last summer. So that, that tells you, Exactly what they think of that decision. Um, you know, I, I think Evan Fournier is exactly what has played exactly what you thought he'd play like. Um, you know, the problem is he doesn't mix in with this group of the Knicks, and he doesn't mix in with Julius Randle as well as Reggie Bullock did, just in terms of what Bullock brings to the table as a two-way player, a two-way wing uh, who can play off the ball and all this stuff. I think, I think Bullock fit a lot better. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, Bullock also had that off-court relationship with, with Julius Randle that I think helped the situation as well. Um, you know, I, you know that contract that they gave Evan Fournier does not look good right now. But the reason why they gave, the reason why they wanted a, um, a player like Evan Fournier is because of that Atlanta Hawks series where they couldn't generate any offense. They couldn't, they didn't have anybody who could create for themselves. And you didn't have anybody who can shoot the three ball as consistently as somebody like Evan Fournier. And Evan Fournier has been doing that this season in spots. So you can't say he hasn't played the way that you thought he'd play because this is who Evan Fournier is. And this is who he's been throughout his career. 
Oh, I agree with you. Look, you know, different version of Tim Hardaway Jr. He's decent, decent two guard, but I just, I just don't think he's going to move the needle. I, 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 I just yeah. don't. Um, and that's, you know, all due respect, but just my philosophy on it. Um, Steph, last thing before I let by you the way, go. By the way, you, you, you bring up Tim Hardaway Jr. Mm-hmm. How about, all right, so he, he got that contract from Steve Mills. And everybody said it was a bad deal. Um, he had to, whatever, he had to overspend to get him because he was a restricted free agent to get him away from the Hawks. Mm-hmm. He was traded um, as an, an, an asset along with uh, – he wasn't an asset. He was traded to get rid of that contract. They had to also give, that, give up Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and um, you know everything else they gave up. But And he's re-signed with the Dallas Mavericks for a bigger contract. So props to Tim Hardaway Jr. He kind of he uh, flipped the script on the naysayers. And, you know, he played really well in Dallas. So props props to Tim Hardaway Jr. I know he's um, injured right now, but, you know, he showed people that he was worth the money in the end. You know, Steph, I, I don't know if uh, you've heard of this before, but some guys actually leave the Knicks and play better elsewhere. That's a thing. <laughs> no, no, that never happens. That never happens. Um, you know, you think about all the – you know, I think of so many guys the Knicks had over the years – uh, Zach Randolph leaves, does great things in Memphis. You know, Jamal Crawford goes elsewhere, does good things. David Lee uh, goes to the Warriors, becomes an all-star. You know, like you, you look at all these uh, moves and the talent that they had. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask you before I let you go, um, you know, it's been touched on by the New York media about how Leon Rose hasn't spoken a lot Um but equally, you know, this team had expectations coming into the year and, and, it, and it hasn't panned out. Um, I'm curious from your standpoint, do, is there any cause for concern at all regarding like Tom Thibodeau as the coach um, looking ahead towards the future? I, I was just curious. I Again, this is a guy that just won coach of the year. I think it's pretty well regarded around the league that the guy's a good coach. Um, it just has not worked out this season, but, um, I was curious at all, just if you've heard anything on, uh, Tibbs's future or what the front office is thinking, uh, with the direction of this team going into the summer. Well, I did hear what has been out there, which is that William Wesley worldwide West has been going around and it's not just been to Dolan. Um, other people have heard this as well from worldwide West that Thibodeau is to at least partially or mostly blame for what's happening right now. And I heard specifically, this was a couple of weeks ago that um, Wesley was saying that Thibodeau hadn't been giving the young players a chance and um, that the coach was, the, this team should be better. And that the coach was at least part of the problem. So, you know, when you have a high ranking executive like that, um, talking about the coach in that way, I think, yeah, there's cause for concern. I never thought that they'd fire him, you know, before the all-star break or before right after the, the trade deadline, that this was something that if it would happen, would happen in the off season. So I, you know, I, that's the biggest story to me. That's the biggest storyline now for the rest of the season is how will this team play for Tom Thibodeau and, you know, will it help his cause? the rest of the season in terms of keeping his job or will it hurt his cause? So, 
for sure. Um, there's some legitimacy there to be concerned about Tom Thibodeau's, um, you know, job security. Well, it'll certainly be worth monitoring, as will your coverage of the Knicks for the New York Daily News. Uh, you know, it is a uh, it is a paper that uh, does make its way to the Scotto household. Uh, you know, we enjoy obviously reading. Some people still read the paper. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I I, you know what? You're one of the few that when you send me the clips um, sometimes, and I appreciate that. And when I do write, I'm thinking, damn, I better write this good. Michael Scotto's reading. Um, well, not only that, you know, Mama Scotto's also reading as well. And uh, I will I will get a, a text or a call. And, you know, certainly uh, if something pops up on uh, – in, in her eyes, she'll uh, she'll send me something, and she'll ask me if I read that. So I got I get a kick out of that um, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, for everybody, certainly make sure you're keeping up with Steph's coverage in the New York Daily News. I appreciate you hopping on the line with me, brother. Always fun to chat with you. Yeah, man. Anytime. No Kyrie questions either, right? We didn't do that. So that's yeah, good. yeah. No nah, yeah, <laughs> I, I I do enough of that with Twitter Spaces where I you know, I have to explain why they can't just pay a fine and let the guy play and how, if he's, if he's on the bench, but he steps two feet onto the court, you know, how he can't play. I'm, I'm over all of it. I, I hope by next season we can get back to reality. We can get back into the locker rooms as well. I've also banged Amen. that drum. I've banged that Amen. drum a little bit. You know, fans want access. Amen. They want, you know, features, in-depth stories. Well, folks, that happens when we have the access as well and we're in the locker rooms. That's a conversation for another day, but I certainly enjoyed this one with Steph. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside Podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Steph and Bondi, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Stefan Bondi too, at S. Bondi NYDN. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.